Welcome to Nature Snippets, a podcast about the natural world, about organisms you may find in your backyard and beyond. This is Declan McCabe coming to you from the Media Creation Studios at St. Michael's College. So, in what feels like another lifetime ago, I spent a lot of time working in a spring in Pennsylvania. And I would go out there several times a year and record all of the caddisflies that lived up and down the length of the spring. And we found some that were found only at the source and we found others that were found strictly downstream. And I revisited this recently for The Outside Story, which is syndicated by Northern Woodlands magazine. And this essay is going to show up in my book that's coming out in June, which I'm super excited about, my first book. And so this is Springs in Winter. On a clear midwinter day several years ago, my student Sarah Wakefield and I pulled on some snowshoes, donned backpacks and headed up through Smuggler's Notch in Vermont. Our destination was Big Spring, which rises from Mount Mansfield's bedrock before flowing east for about 100 yards and entering a culvert under Vermont Route 108. When it emerges from the culvert, the spring water joins a stream fed by surface runoff and snowmelt. Groundwater-fed springs can flow year-round regardless of plunging temperatures that layer thick ice over surface water streams. Spring water maintains a constant temperature due to its long-term contact far below the surface with bedrock and the deep sands and gravels of subterranean aquifers that are protected from the vagaries of the weather. Springs take on the average annual air temperature for their locality, and so Big Springs water measures 41 degrees Fahrenheit in midwinter, just as it does in August. This constant temperature provides refuge for tiny creatures from both summer heat and the freezing cold of winter. Some species thrive only in consistent temperatures found in springs, while others avoid them entirely. Some spring-dwelling species are widespread, occurring throughout the northeast. The cast of characters includes caddisfly larvae, case-building, net-spinning and free-living worm-like insects with six eggs at the front end and a pair of hooks springing up the rear. These caddisflies eat leaves, algae, filtered particles or other invertebrates. The caddisfly Adicrophleps hitchcocki, for example, can be found at most times of the year in its perfectly squared-off green case made of living moss strands in springs all along the Appalachians. Other species are endemic to one or a handful of springs, the caddisfly Apatania blackeye, which has, was named for a previous director of the Carnegie Museum in Pittsburgh, has been recorded from just two Pennsylvania springs. Temperature is not the only difference between spring water and surface water. Surface water draining through leaves and soil carries particles of organic material that feed things like black flies and other invertebrates equipped to filter tiny morsels from the water. Net-spinning caddisflies are particularly adept at dining on this movable feast of waterborne particles. Springs, however, where bedrock and subterranean sands have filtered the groundwater to remove these particles, tend to lack net-spinning caddisflies that are common in other streams. But where there's a pattern, there tends to be an exception, and one net-spinning caddisfly bucks the trend by specialising in springs. Parasyche apicalis spins a far larger meshed net than do most of its cousins. This net is used more like a spider web than a filter, 
and parapsyche larvae will eat any macroinvertebrate that stumbles into their little nest and across their threshold. Parapsyche apicalis was one of the first macroinvertebrates that Sarah and I found during our winter expedition to Big Spring. It showed up in most of our samples along the length of the spring, but promptly disappeared at the confluence with the tributary below the culvert. Patterns like this are not unusual in spring brooks. In Pennsylvania's Mall Spring, four species were found at the source and they disappeared entirely downstream, and several other species occurred only downstream. Some combination of temperature and food resources likely drives these patterns. Some theorize that rare spring source species are glacial relics, cold water species left behind when cooler conditions move north behind retreating glaciers at the end of the last ice age. If this is true, it begs the question, what will happen to these species in a more rapidly warming planet? When Sarah and I visited Big Spring in the 1990s, a warming planet was slightly less on our minds than was the need to stay warm and dry while collecting insects located under very cold water. We brought our picked samples back to the lab for identification and quantification and were happy to get back indoors and warm again. But there's no need for microscopes or vials of alcohol to glimpse the world of spring-dwelling organisms. If you happen upon a pool of flowing water emerging from the rocks in an otherwise frozen landscape, you may well have found a spring source. By lifting a rock from the stream bed, you can see if anyone is home. Debris stuck to a clean rock surface suggests a net-spinning caddisfly retreat. And once again, you can get your clip-on macro lens for a closer look. You can upload your photographs to iNaturalist, and who knows? The community of naturalists may determine that you have found a Dicrophlebs hitchcocki or some other spring water specialist. So there it is. I started my scientific career playing in springs. I had a really good time, and I was privileged to work with a wonderful professor, Jan Sakura, from the University of Pittsburgh, and he introduced me to this one particular spring that had just about more caddisfly species than you would find anywhere. And he had, in fact, described a couple of new species from that location. So it was a fun adventure and a great way to get my foothold in science. And I have had a soft spot for springs ever since. So that's it for today. Um, I'll come back in a couple of weeks with something else that will be weather appropriate. And I hope you are enjoying your wintertime, wherever you happen to be. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate that. And I'll be back again in a couple of weeks with some more musings about nature and the natural world and some beasties you may find in your neighborhood. <laughs>